Welcome back to Atlanta Diaries. I'm your host Enma Popley. Thank you for joining me. In Atlanta Diaries, we celebrate unique and inspiring stories of breakthrough women to help future generations create their own. If you want to know more about Atlanta or listen to more episodes, you can visit my website www.enmapopley.com. You can also share feedback or suggestions there. My guest today is Donna K Rule. Donna is a cowgirl, wife, mother and grandmother. And at an age when most rodeo champions decide to retire, Donna decided to jump right in. And since 2019, she has qualified for the Wrangler National Finals Rodeo, the NFR four times. And now at 65, she's among the top barrel racers in the world. It's hard to say who is more famous, her horse Valor, Donna Kay or their constant traveling companion Rodeo Rosie, the miniature Australian Shepherd. I was very fortunate to meet Donna at the NFR in Vegas, where my husband hosted a breakfast for the team they sponsored. I instantly gravitated towards Donna's humility and positive demeanor and invited her to be my guest at Atlanta Diaries to share her inspiring journey and Donna was really gracious. Without further ado, let's listen more about Team Donna. Hi Donna, welcome to the show. Well, thank you for inviting me. You've had a very busy season and just about got some time with the family. Thank you for taking the time to share your amazing story. I really appreciate it, Donna. Well, thank you. And I I really enjoyed meeting you. I just felt very connected to you immediately. Thank you, Donna. Your journey is so inspiring. At 65, you're not ready to hang up the hat. What does that mean for you? Well, I just I think I mentioned when we had a, a small conversation before that I've I'm 65 from the chin down and I'm 35 from the chin up. So maybe that's probably the answer to it. I don't think I'm 65. <laughs> that's good. Now we can tell anyone and everyone who says, "Oh, I'm 60 plus and I can't do it." All I'm going to say is, "Go meet Donna and you will never say that again." Donna, before we get into the conversation, the interest of the listeners Can you share with us a little bit about the rodeo and then about barrel racing? I think that'll help with context and help everyone visualize what really it means to get into something like this. Well, a rodeo probably began based on a need to doctor cattle and take care of animals on the ranch, you know, and maybe a cowboy was was faster at catching a calf than another cowboy and got to be a friendly wager back and forth. So that's probably the basic thing where they started, you know, you take care of your animals, it's so important. Um if they're sick on out in a pasture far away from a corral, you have to go rope them, you have to tie them down, you have to give them medicine and and save their life. So that's basically where the rodeo thing started whether it's calf roping or team roping. Team roping is where the one guy ropes the steer's horns and the other guy ropes the steer's feet and then one cowboy would get off and doctor the the bigger steer and if you had a little calf then you would only be need one person. And then of course us girls we can't be outdone by the guys so you know we we all think we're horse trainers so barrel racing is a timed event where you can either choose one t- right turn and two lefts or one left turn and two rights and it's set up in a cloverleaf pattern and it's a timed event and the fastest person wins. And it's a it's a pretty highly skilled it's evolved a long long way. Now you have to be You have to have a really nice horse and you have to be a pretty good horseman to to run this level. 
you know, five years back when I attended the first rodeo, it was such an eye opener and it was very fascinating. But I also, you know, at some level felt that, you know, is this fair on the animals too? And I remember you gave me such a beautiful perspective, which completely changed my way of looking at it. And I'd love you to share that perspective on how do you feel rodeo brings that whole community, you know, aspect or brings in a lot of different skills, which go a long way for kids, for adults and so on. I think that's a miscommunication between the rodeo people and, and somebody that is not a rodeo person. It is not cruel. They love their job. Juice, for instance, you know, the one that was injured is not injured now. He wants to go. He whinnies and cries when we leave. He looks forward to me coming to him every day. He likes everything the same every day. And of course we make money at it, but it's not a, it's not really a greed feel. It's a horsemanship team communication feel. They really do like it. My eyes are always looking for something that's not right. and. Anybody that spends their life doing this feels the same. Of course, you have to make money, you have to make money to live. But we spend hours. I probably spend eight hours a day doing something in my barn. And it's for the comfort and health of my horse. And he's got to be comfortable mentally as well. You know, he can't just be hurried and rushed and done everything. You know, in the early training, we teach him to understand and use his body the best of his ability. And as long as I do my job, he loves his job. And it's important to me to do it right. God gave me this ability to do this and have this communication skill. I take it pretty serious. And then, you know, we have cattle. We raise cattle. We raise beef cattle. We spend countless hours taking care of them and making sure they're healthy and they're not hungry and that they have the proper nutrition. Sometimes we do have to rope them and doctor them. But that's where some of those contests came from, was roping and doctoring and helping an animal live a better life. The steers, when you rope them, they have, they have heavily padded uh, wraps so they don't get hurt. You know, if you've ever tried to give a steer or a cow a shot, you got to rear back and really push it in there. They are super duper tough. So it appears that they're being handled roughly. They're really not. It doesn't hurt them that much. You know, of course, there's an occasional, you know. But a dog gets hurt every now and then, just being a good dog out in the backyard. So, I mean, it's not cruel. And it's a family-oriented feel. All the kids understand that if you don't take care of your animals, you do not win. So it's a good responsibility factor. It's better than them sitting up in their room looking at their computer. I think viewing from the outside maybe as a first-timer, you think, oh, my goodness, that's hard on those animals. But it's not. It's really not. They, uh, they provide wraps for the steer's horns um, so they don't hurt them. The little calves are tough, tough, tough. I mean, they're born, if you left them alone and never looked at them and the, and the cow had a calf out in the middle of the pasture, often it will be in the wintertime when it's 25 degrees and wind blowing out of the north, you know, and those calves survive. They're thick skinned, they're thick haired. So most of that was all born out of, out of necessity. We do not ever want to hurt our animals. We spend a lot of money breeding them so they'll be tough, um, taking care of them so they're not ill. And I'm not the only one. Anybody that, that is, does well at this event, you cannot win if you do not take care of your animals, period. Yeah, that's really helpful to know. And how did this even become a part, such an integral part of your journey? What inspired you to get into horse racing? 
and then professional rodeo. So take us through that journey and uh, share with us how this whole thing played out. Well, I think I kind of left out part of your, your first question about family unit. And that's to answer this question. That's kind of how it came out. You know, my dad was a was a rodeo guy and he loved the team rope and he rode Bronx and Bulls in his younger days. And, you know, he worked for a living. And when he came home on the weekends, we would get in the truck and all of us go as a family and enjoy rodeo events or horse show events or team roping events. And, you know, it's, it's a very much a community family. You learn as a child that you have to feed your horse or you don't win. You can't just say, I'll do it later. So my dad was probably the one that inspired me. And, you know, he was big and tall and handsome and a cowboy. And of course, I just wanted to do anything he wanted to do. So it just evolved, learning how to be better and learning how to ride better and purchase better bred animals and learn. So Donna, was dad your trainer? You know, I can see that adoration for dad and I can see that he totally inspired you. But who was it who really sort of made you... A wonderful horse racer. Oh gosh, yes. I whatever my dad said was so. If he said the sun was shining purple, I would I would go toe to toe with anybody. Because <laughs> anyway, yes, I was quite a daddy's girl. But he really wasn't a trainer because he worked so hard. He just enjoyed the events mostly. And as I grew up and you know wanted to be better and wanted to go to another level, I actually just. I saw a girl that I thought was very, very good at barrel racing. Jackie Jo Perrin is her name. And I went at an event at a high school rodeo and found her dad and said, I want to ride like her. And her dad's name was Billy Perrin. And Jackie Jo ended up winning the world championship in 1977. So it was like 1978 when I met him. And he just, he changed my mind about understanding the whole process and being a better horseman, taking better care of my animals, taught me how to ride better not pull on them, you know, let them work. And then, you know, it evolved over the years. I, I tried to get better every, every day. I want to know more, but Billy Perrin was definitely my mentor. I owe him my career. You know, my dad was my inspiration, but Billy was my teacher as far as uh, the depth of horsemanship I, I tried to, to gain. Donna, I really want to double click on this whole ability or vulnerability to go to just somebody and say, you know, train me, like what was going on in your mind? Because I think even today you speak to so many uh, youngsters also, or so many people who don't feel vulnerable enough to sort of ask for help like this, right? So what really motivated you or inspired you to just go and ask him? I've always kind of been a student of the game. You know, you watch the winners, whether you're a jogger, whether you're yoga, whether you exercise in horsemanship, you know, you have, you have a lot of minds at work and not all of them are going to the same goal. So as a trainer, that's one of your jobs is to understand your horse and to watch your horse and to know what helps him be better and what helps you be better. So watching Jackie Joe Perrin do well and outrun everybody so easily, I wanted to understand how she did that. And I, I never doubted that I could do that, you know, and, and wanting my horse to understand me better. You know, I don't want to confuse my horse. That's important to me that he is comfortable and happy. So being a better horseman is, is a goal. And I had no fear talking to somebody to help me help my horse. That's such a beautiful perspective. And did it ever bother you that Jackie Jo might have a problem with, you know, her dad training one more person? Like, was that a concern? 
No, that's one of the beauties of the of the rodeo or agricultural world is, you know, we understand how hard it is. It takes all of us to make it work. And we pretty much went shoulder to shoulder. In fact, that was in 1978. She and I are still just near sisters, you know, we, and she encourages me and calls me and, you know, the top 15 barrel racers in the world, which we just experienced at the national finals rodeo. If one has a problem, the rest of us will help. Nobody enters to win second. That's not the goal. The goal is to win, but knowing what it takes to win, we all kind of pitch in, you know, whether we get along, there's going to be that time when we'll fuss with one another, but you know, it's about the horse. It's about the animal and doing better by them. I love the sisterhood. The other day I was speaking to this lady who's the CEO of an investment bank and she was talking about the boys club versus sisterhood, you know, so I can totally see what you're sharing, transferring into the corporate world or into any other, you know, work world. The lessons are the same, understanding and ability to learn from each other, mentorship, role modeling. You talk about so many of these things. That's really helpful, Donna. Donna, I want to shift gears. And talk to us about the turning point when you move from just horse racing to professional rodeo. At 61, maybe for you, it's not a big deal. I can tell you that for many, it's going to be a big deal. At 61, to turn a professional, that means a lot of grit and determination. Well, you have never lacked in grit or determination. So with, with that said, you know, I've spent my whole life trying to get better. Married my husband. We did it for a couple of years. We married in 1980 and we bought a saddle shop. He's a saddle maker and an artist. And we had two kids and ran the business for 30 years. During that time, I trained horses and I would purchase them and then sell them, you know, to help fund the family. So once my family was grown and we, uh, we ended up selling the saddle shop in 2009, none of them really needed me on a daily basis, like minute by minute, like they used to. And I, I wasn't about to leave then. So I decided to buy a horse that just suited me, that I didn't have to worry about selling, that you didn't have to look pretty. And if you made a mistake, it was just a mistake. I could fix it and just go on and just really understand the process probably clearer than I ever had. So then I had a horse named Juice and the current horse named Valor. He was a young horse coming along and realized that they were very, very talented. And I think we spoke about me watching that commercial or that interview that one day, there was a, there's a basketball player named Russell Westbrook that was on our Thunder team for Oklahoma City Thunder. And they were interviewing him and he is an amazing ball player, an amazing athlete. And they were asking him, what makes you think you can make those three point shots and those have double doubles at every game and, you know, do all these things that you do. And he looked right straight through the camera at me at that point in my life and said, why not? And I was like, I don't know why not. I have no good reason why not. I have these two nice horses. My family's doesn't need me as much. And so I just did it. Yep. Why not? Yeah. Were there any naysayers in this journey? And if yes, how did you navigate it? How did you keep yourself going? How did you keep yourself saying why not? Oh, yeah. I mean, currently, you know, what the heck are you doing at 65 years old? Are you sure that's what you want to do? Well, it's what I've always done. And as long as I don't have a mirror to look in and realize how old I am, I'm 35 from the chin up. Well, I think the biggest thing I get is their eyebrows go up and they say, you, you go by yourself? Doesn't that scare you? Well, Rosie, the dog, she goes with me. She's not scared. I'm not scared. I think that's the biggest fear that like, people are afraid to step out and go on their own. I know how to work on a truck. I know how to fix a tire. I, I can defend myself as needed. 
not afraid to, that's for sure. Don't, don't cross the line because I'll sure defend myself if I have to. I've never been afraid to do it. My funny story about that is I worked a lot of big events in Oklahoma. They have a Better Barrel Racer Finals, which is a cumulative deal of just barrel racing. And all of the people that qualify come to Oklahoma City and we'll run, you know, 1,500 barrel racers through there in the course of a couple of days. And I was the arena director for that for 10 or 12 years. And then they had another big event called Diamonds and Dirt in South Texas. And I was also the arena director for that. So basically ran around with a clipboard and told people what to do and, you know, judged it and made sure everything was done. The dirt was done correctly and opened and closed the gate. You know, so for a lot of years, those young ladies would see me there. And the funny story is once I started winning, I had a young lady come up to me and she said, Donna Kay, I didn't even know you ran barrels. She said, I, I thought you were just the old lady at the gate. <laughs> <laughs> I'm her too. <laughs> so yeah. Um, yeah. They did look at me funny and, you know, they want to come pat my hand and look at me with their head tilted sideways and say, isn't that cute until I started beating them. And then <laughs> it didn't bother me. Cause I, you know, I had spent my life trying to get better and, you know, I felt fairly confident. I, I was going to do as good as I could and uh, it didn't trip me up. You know, I, I never feared that I couldn't. And if I, if I failed, which I did, no doubt about it, there were failures. You go back to work Monday through Friday and try to fix it. You know, understand your horse, understand what you've done, understand how you're riding poorly and maybe go find that other professional and say, Hey, what are you seeing that I'm doing? Cause I'm messing this horse up and most are willing to help you. Yeah. Donna, uh, you know, you said a number of times that, you know, if your horse is talented or talk to your horse or understand your horse. So help us understand a little bit about this dynamic, like you and Valor or you and Juicy are a team clearly, right? You know, there's, you're no one without Juicy and I'm sure the other way around too. So, Talk to me about this relationship between you and your horse. I spend a lot of time when they're young. I spend a lot of time with my hands on them. You know, I touch them. They can't see, they can see left and right. They can't see directly in front of them, directly behind them. So you're always cognitive of when you get directly behind them, you, you have a hand on them, let them know you're switching sides. From the moment I put a halter on them, which is what you go and catch them with, to the moment I step off, I'm always communicating something, letting them have confidence in me that. Horses live in the wild and they are all eating grass and the one leader is watching. The one leader raises his head and gets nervous. The whole herd gets nervous. That's the leader's job and that's the follower's job. So with that in mind, that's how I go out my daily horse training is I'm the leader, they're the follower. And if I'm panicked, they want to know why, you know, they're going to run. So Daily, I try to instill confidence in that horse. Like I want to understand left front, right rear, right, you know, left hind, right hind, whatever. I want to know where those feet are and I want to be able to help him understand where I want him to put them. And I try to stay calm and avert a crisis. If there's a, something scary happening, hopefully by doing all those basic things, he's counting on me. So then you know, you evolve over a few years of that, they know to count on you and they know you're not going to hurt them. 
This is such a powerful leadership story, Donna. The leader has to take on all the stress and also therefore pass on the same energy to their team. Donna, there must be moments when you're stressed or worried. So how do you then deal with that? Who's your go-to person or how do you sort of overcome that stress, cope with it? Uh, for me, I go outside. <laughs> I just get outside, get some wind in here. Um, we live way out, so there's really nobody out here that if I... You know, I suppose I could pick up the phone. There's a few people. My daughter's very helpful with that. My son, close, and we we talk a lot. You know, I probably don't tell my husband is if I'm stressed. You know, I don't want him to worry. So maybe I talk to my kids more than I do him. But but for the most part, you know, you just have to slow your mind down and get outside. And you know, I'm I'm a woman of faith, so I I go to God a lot. Trust that that's that's a source of peace when it is. I usually don't share my feelings, honestly. I'm not a crier. I am a hugger. <laughs> but, uh, you know, usually usually people come to me and, uh, you know, try to slow down and listen to what's around you is probably what I do more than anything. You did say that, uh, you know, your husband played a huge role in giving you the confidence that you're the person at 61. So talk to me more about, you know, how he has supported you and your relationship. Oh, yeah, gosh, he always supports me. I mean, we work together every single day, 16 hours a day at the saddle shop and then raising our children. And then, you know, now with my horses and stuff, when I go on the road, you know, if I have a truck issue or something, I call him and he always checks with me in the evenings, in the mornings. Sometimes we're all busy during the day, but I always have him within a phone call if, if I have to. You know, I leave in June and don't get back until September when I'm rodeoing in the Northwestern United States. So. That was different for us. That was really hard. In fact, <laughs> the first year I left, I called him and he said, he was asking where the bread was. I said, well, it's in the bread box, John, they're on the counter. And he said, bread box? <laughs> yes, John, we have a bread box. <laughs> so, but no, he's, you know, he's sensible and sincere. And if you're doing it wrong and you need to be told, he'll, he'll tell me. He doesn't do anything mean. Everything that comes out is, is encouraging, but, um, uh, He's not afraid to tell you if you're doing it wrong. So that's helpful, really. Mm -hmm. You know, you again say these things as a matter of fact, but I really want to talk about your trips to the rodeo when you go in June and come back in September. When I was flying this time from back from Vegas to Houston, a lot of people were flying in the same plane and said that their horses were coming in the trailer. But I know you do it differently. So share with us, what does that different mean? Yeah, I have a I have a pickup, a Dodge Dooley and a four horse trailer. And I put all of my feed and tack and pack is the equipment that we use for our horses and uh, plenty of clothes in there. You never know what you're going to run into. If you're in Cody, Wyoming in July 4th, doesn't mean it's going to be toasty warm. So you have plenty of everything, goose downs and wild rags. And if, when I get entered, I, I usually plan to try to go ahead. I don't drive much more than four hours at a time without getting my horse out. That's important for his health. and you know, you have to be smart about where you stop because you're by yourself. Me and me and my dog, Rosie, and my horse, we go. And uh, so I have some stops that I like to, you know, pick that are safe and well lit and other people around. And yes, I do carry a gun as needed. I haven't, I've only had to pull it one time and I've been it when I pulled it. So <laughs> yeah, I had a guy at a, at a gas station come up and obviously not telling the truth about what his intentions were. And so I just reached in the truck and held it right in front of my chest. And I said, you still want to talk to me about that? He took off running, jumped in his car and peeled out and left. So 
you know, it's not as safe as it used to be when I was young. So I'm super careful about it. There are places online at overnight horse hotels. If you're in a really unfamiliar area, those are better. So I, I typically will go there, you know, and, and pay for a place. But I stay in my trailer right close to my horse. I don't ever leave him, you know, where I can't see him. You know, he's, a, he's my most valuable tool in the vehicle. I wouldn't, need, wouldn't even need to go if I didn't have him. So, so yeah, I'm careful, but uh, I do go by myself. So you drive the trailer, you manage the horse, you go and race the horse. So everything is you and Valor and little Rosie. So how do you manage that? Like there's no veterinarian, you're everything for the horse. Yeah, I'm pretty much everything. I thankfully have learned quite a bit uh, about how to, what medicines I need to take in case of emergency. And typically there are veterinarians, you know, available if you really have a disaster out on the road, hopefully you don't, you know, I've learned long ago, the Calvary's not coming. So I, I need to know how to do stuff like change my air filter in my vehicle and, you know, give my horse medicine if he needs it, make sure Rosie's got plenty of feed and she's doing okay and let her out. You know, you got to learn, listen, and just, you know, common sense, be your guide. There must've been setbacks and failures in this journey. There's always setbacks. Juice and I were at a rodeo in Carthage, Missouri one time, and somebody tied a horse to a, a loose panel and it set backwards and it was still tied to this panel, which was a six foot panel. And it took off running with this panel and ran around and around this building that none of us could get out of. And Juice jumped over me into the bleachers and almost cut his leg off. And it knocked me out, broke some ribs, um, tore up my knee, broke my hand. Once I came to, I had, I had some EMTs get me up and they wanted me to go to the hospital, but I wasn't about to leave my horse. I mean, there he was bleeding. So um, we got him stabilized and enough to get in a trailer and go to a vet clinic. And he stayed in his stall and I had to work on him for like eight whole months. He couldn't get out of a 10 by 10 stall just to take care of him. So that was a huge setback. You know, that's another thing that you have to be careful of having plenty of stuff in your trailer. If you get stuck on the side of the road with your horses, that you have water available. I usually carry a tank of water with me for them. A couple of years ago, I had three vehicles that pooped out on me when I was in Montana and Colorado and Wyoming, three different times. I mean, the same year, oh my goodness. And you can, <laughs> you can have to dig deep for that third one because I was like, okay, what are you trying to tell me here? But you know, your horse is working and your truck isn't. So then you just find a ride to the next one. So that's the not easy part because the stuff on Facebook is just the highlight reel. You know, you're old and you're hot and you're hungry and say you don't win well guess who gets to eat your horse you know if you, if you don't win and you don't have anybody to eat then your horse gets to eat because if without him again no need to be out on the road so dog and horse will eat before me such a beautiful relationship donna donna let's talk a little bit about uh, during the race right so Again, this takes me back to the breakfast where we met that morning and I was so inspired by your persona. I mean, I was totally gravitated towards you. I was just wondering that, you know, in, in a few hours, you're going to be out there racing, yet you look so relaxed and, you know, mingle with everyone. But what happens a few hours before the race? Like, how do you train yourself or, you know, talk to yourself, talk to your horse, talk to us a little bit about that. Well, first of all, I was so grateful to to the the company for inviting us and having us there. I just felt like, gosh dang, this is great. I should let them know how grateful I am and we are. So 
and some of the other kids, they were a little nervous about talking to everybody. So I want to make sure everybody understood we're a grateful group. But to answer your question, you know, I pretty much just internalize. And again, like I was talking earlier about trying to figure out where my horse's feet are. When I walk, I want to know how he feels, if he's loose. And when I increase my speed and, you know, just in my warm up, I want to make sure I don't feel anything that doesn't feel right. And then I visualize my run. I have a specific place I want to be right before each turn, whether I'm walking or going as fast as a horse will go. So my job is to, as a jockey, to put my horse there and help him understand where to go. Sometimes we run in a great big arena. Sometimes we run in a small arena, like the NFR, for instance, is extremely small. And, but then my spot never changes. So mentally, I have to prepare to set him up for success at that spot. Yeah. So this is valid right now. So you think Juicy is understood that he has to hang up his hat or is, is Juicy still excited to come back to the arena? Oh my gosh, Juice is still full of beans. I mean, physically, he cannot compete at the level Valor can just because of his injury. But mentally, he's about like I am from the chin up. He's, <laughs> he's ready to rock right before the NFR. Because, you know, typically the ladies will have more than one horse. I don't. Juice obviously had the injury and then he's a little older. But I, I go ahead and keep him in shape as if I could run him at any moment. And just in case I needed to say something happened to Valor while I was at the NFR, then I would have juice right there available. So I take juice the week before the NFR and made a run on him. And boy, he just got all puffed up and jiggy trotted in there and was so excited. So yeah, he still, he still feels like he's part of the gang. Every day I get him out and do nearly the same things with him so that he feels like he's part of the gang. So what kind of a conversation do you have with them? How do you communicate with them? With Valor, because he is completely racehorse bred, which is something that we look for nowadays at this level, I, I keep very calm. Everything I do is methodical and normal. Um, sometimes I do little weird things just to, you know, because he's going to run into that. You know, things are going to change. There's going to be a little person pushing a baby stroller. Or there's going to be a dog run out from a bush in some rodeo. So I try to expose him to some things like that and then communicate with him. You're okay everything's good. And I do that physically, maybe soften my legs or soften my hips just to let him know it's okay. Nothing's wrong. So if I tense up and I pick up his reins and I get nervous, then he's like, "Uh oh, something's wrong. So the conversation slash communication for that horse, I I keep very calm. And with juice, he's kind of, he likes to mosey a little more. (laughs) I might probably communicate a little more intensity, for instance, just let him know, yeah, come on, game's on. You need you need to come up and step up. That's really sweet. Do you think he'll ever come back to any smaller competitions? Yes, definitely. My daughter actually kept him at home this summer, and she won like five different buckles on him at different rodeos. I mean, he can still compete effectively, maybe the second level below Valor. So his heart's still in it, and then I keep him in shape. I really do. I it, It's my job. I owe him. He doesn't owe me. You're so loyal. But you know what? You're totally underplaying your injury at that time. You know, you're saying Juicy wasn't capable for nine months. But what about the accident which you had at the same time? How did you cope with that? Well, I limped around for a while. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it it hurt a lot. In fact, I, I ended up getting a hip replacement last year. Well, actually, this year in April of 2022, 
And honestly, I feel like maybe during that accident was when the hip got displaced the worst because the horses, there were several horses that ran over me and ran into me. I felt like maybe that was the beginning of the hip needing to be replaced. And so as I competed last year about this time, the hip was excruciating. It was almost unbearable. In fact, I was in my trailer in Lufkin, Texas at a rodeo, and I was on the phone with my daughter, and I told her I was wanting something to drink. And she said, well, don't you have anything in the refrigerator? I said, yeah. And she said, well, where are you? I said, I'm on the couch in my trailer. I just don't want to walk over there. I mean, it hurt bad. So finally, that next week, I called and got in, and, and I got a new hip April 25th of this year. And then I was back to work in July. <laughs> You decide what you want, you go after it. <laughs> yeah. So what's, I know you've said it, but if I had to actually sort of ask you, Donna, what's the secret of your success? What will you attribute it to? Being successful at this age is, doesn't necessarily have that much to do with me. I think there's a message that needs to be delivered and maybe I'm the carrier. I don't know, but I mean, I have no desire to quit. It's important for me to show people that, you don't have to whip and spur and kick a horse. You can just teach him, get him to understand, and then let him do his job. At our level, which is the highest level of barrel racing, they have to love it. They have to be good at it. And um, if they don't understand, they're not going to stay good very long. You know, Valor's longevity probably because he loves his job. And then I, I manage the, the body and make sure his body stayed okay. I don't know. I, there's just something special about it. And the story needs to be told. Keep going and, and do it right and do it right when nobody's looking. And it's pretty simple. Things will work out. Yep. Sounds like it's almost like you're calling, right? And you feel that you need to just pass this on. Yeah, I know that sounds evangelical or, or silly as heck, but. I had a woman, the national finals rodeo, we, we go and sign autographs at different booths and she was in tears. And I was like, Oh my gosh, what did I hurt her feelings? I didn't know. And she said she was in her fifties and she had lost her husband sometime back and just had no desire to do anything. She just laid around and did nothing. And somehow on TV, got to watching a, a rodeo and saw this older woman, which was me doing well and riding horses and enjoying life. And so she went and took some riding lessons again and kind of started getting back out of the house and has ended up buying a horse and just loves to ride and get outside. And, you know, that didn't come from me. That came from somewhere else. It, it went to her, just like Russell Westbrook talking to me through the TV. There, there was a message that needed to be delivered and thankfully she got it. It was very touching. I was, I was pretty choked up. <laughs> And I'm really hoping through this conversation, you'll do the same thing. Like people listening from all, literally all over the world, I'm sure you will inspire many, you know, whether it'll be youngsters to understand grit, whether it'll be youngsters to understand purpose and find your calling, or whether it'll be older people to say there's no age, you know, just say why not <laughs> instead of saying why. <laughs> Donna, you shared how your husband is your biggest cheerleader. You had also mentioned to me earlier that unfortunately he had a stroke recently. Share with us, how are you coping with that? I really hope he's feeling better. I've been married to my husband for 42 years and he had a stroke. So that was difficult to go to the NFR without him. He insisted that I go and didn't stop. Honestly, that was probably the biggest burden I've ever had is to not have my right-hand man right there. 
Mm. That that was kind of sad and kind of hard. My daughter and son and family all took up slack and did everything they could to help. But that was probably as close as I've come to saying, well, I don't want to do this without John. And he's kind of like me. I mean, we we are boundless. So we thought he's really broad shouldered. He's strong as an ox. He can carry hay. He build things. He's always been the leader. And then he has a stroke and now he can't use his, he's an artist as well. He's a bronze sculpture artist. Can't speak very clearly. Can't use his right hand, his right side very much. He's fallen a little bit. And this has just been a two month ordeal so far. The doctors indicate in stroke world, it's not a major stroke, you know, although they do understand that in our world, it's major because we have a calf operation and we have to move hay and we have to doctor cattle and so it's, it's changed the dynamics of our family a lot. I've been married to John for 42 years. This is our starting our 43rd year. So apparently on our 43rd year, we're going to do it quite differently than we've done in the past, which has, you know, never slowed us down before. We can't do it this way. We'll do it a different way. So yeah, it's, uh, it's going to be different, but we'll make it. Yeah. And have you been deliberate about doing things differently? Like, is your travel going to be the same now with this? A little bit of change in the family on the family front. Um, with as young as we are in this journey, I don't know the answer. I can go to we live in Oklahoma and I can go to the Texas rodeos that have a lot of money added and see how his progression is. And because I can go there and come back, but my summertime might look different. And it might be that he can go with me. He doesn't go because we had cattle and horses and things to take care of. Now he can't do that. So mm-hmm. maybe he gets to go and see part of the country he's never seen. Yeah. So it might even be more fun. Absolutely. That's such a, I can suddenly see this aha moment, you know, like this Eureka moment saying, maybe that's the gift in this. Yeah. Yeah. There's always a lesson. There's always good. Good will always come. Good will always come. Donna, did you ever experience self-doubt and imposter syndrome? Oh, not really. I mean, Maybe. I don't No, I don't recall. Honestly, I don't recall ever self-doubt would get angry with myself for doing it incorrectly, you know, but I never really doubted myself. And so I don't know how to speak to that. Honestly, I, my dad was always really good about saying, you know, you're not winning. Then look inside, be honest with yourself, see if you've done everything you can do and don't do it the same way. Find a different way. But there are times when you get in a slump and maybe when you tip a barrel in the barrel racing, they add a five second penalty. And so you will not win money if they add the five second penalty. So there may be an occasion where you tip some barrels at some big events. And yeah, that'll make you kind of talk to yourself. But if you really think it through, reality of it is you need to make a change, slight change, maybe change in position or maybe change in your stress level. Maybe you need to find out if maybe you had a fuss with your husband or whatever. Go get that ironed out and, and slow your mind down and go back to work. Yeah, that totally makes sense. In our early conversation, you said that your daughter is now taking on, right? So how that is playing out? Oh, it's typical mother-daughter thing. You know, as a, as a teenager, I, I knew nothing. And uh, <laughs> amazing, within a few short years, I learned an awful lot. <laughs> so... She's now nearly 30 and really is very talented. 
you know, my dear friend, Betty Jo, for all my life when KK was little, she'd say, I'd be, oh my goodness, she's not listening, Betty Jo, she just won't listen, she won't try, blah. and Betty Jo would just grin and pat me, and she'd say, no, no, okay, it's going in, it's going in, so now, as an adult, and she's a mother as well, she, it's, it's in there, it's in there, the goodness, the kindness, the hard work, the ethic, you know, she hears me, but she, I go to her too, because she's, she's pretty sharp. So it's almost like reverse mentoring where, you know, sort of you're giving her support and you're getting support from her as well. Absolutely. Yeah, she's helpful. I mean, I'm really good seeing a horse when he's not walking properly or if he's not, if he's trotting and he's a little bit off, that's somehow I have good eyes for that. And thankfully she sees that. So, you know, we often will bounce those off or we'll sit and watch a big race and we'll say, okay, that horse is off in the left hind or that horse is off in the right front or you know, maybe his teeth need worked on or she's really got good eyes for that. So I'm so grateful to have her within, you know, shouting distance to say, hey, okay, come look at this. Right. This has been so beautiful, Donna, and uh, really been inspiring. You know, and like I mentioned to you earlier that, you know, I started Atlanta Diaries so that I can share these hidden stories and celebrate all these stories with people at large. And do you have any parting thoughts for aspiring leaders as they transition? Since Atlanta Diaries is a place where we can learn and unlearn our definitions of success and achievement. Well, probably the, the biggest takeaway should be, you know, don't let the highs get too high and don't let the lows get too low. Gosh, dang, you can turn on the TV and just, just want to go jump off a tall building. You know, kindness and goodness is out there. Don't give up on that you know, and, and just keep trudging through. You know, if you really, really love something, figure a way to do it. And if you don't belong there, you know, be open-minded, but always, always go for kindness and always go for just doing the best you can. Even when nobody's looking, do it right. Beautiful. Thank you very much, Donna. And thank you again for sharing your story so candidly. (laughs) Thank you. It was fun. Thank you very much for listening. All my guests have brought their most vulnerable selves on Atlanta Diaries. And even if a small segment of these conversations can help champion the journey of one person, it's going to be really worth it. I do have a request for you. Please share this podcast on your social media and with your family and friends. Our society is constantly evolving and Atlanta Diaries must too. I really appreciate if you can leave your feedback in the form of a review or a rating. These are impactful and rousing stories that need to be shared far and wide. See you next time for another one on Atlanta Diaries.